Oral questions by members? Opposition House Leader. <clears throat> Yesterday, British Columbians were horrified by the chilling images of Paul Schmidt's uh, fatal stabbing in Vancouver. This senseless and deadly random attack occurred in broad daylight. It occurred outside of a Starbucks on Granville Street, a busy coffee shop that many of us in this chamber, myself included, and countless British Columbians and visitors to our province have frequented. Paul was there with his wife and his young daughter. The images of his attack and his death are chilling and they're nothing short of tragic. As a father who often visits coffee shops with his wife and daughters, I'm finding it hard on behalf of the opposition to find words to describe what Paul's family must now endure. The violence that's taking place in our communities is getting worse and worse. And Mr. Speaker, random attacks, which used to be a rare occurrence in British Columbia, have sadly become all too common, almost to the point of being normalized in our province. So my question to the Premier is this. How many more lives must be shattered by this abhorrent, senseless violence before we see an end to these horrific random attacks? Minister of Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and uh, I thank the member for the question. Uh, all of us uh, share the, um, the absolute horror, um, and words can't, I think, describe the feeling of just how awful uh, what happened outside that Starbucks is um, and how disturbing the images which sadly have been shared uh, on social media and the just how horrible that must be for the family, friends of the family, and for the public in general. But I also want to make it clear that this is a problem that is not, this upsurge that we have seen is not something that is unique here in British Columbia, but is something we are seeing indeed in all parts of the country, particularly our larger cities. And I can tell you that it is something that the province, this province and other provinces are working on, on ways to be able to deal with these situations, particularly because of their random nature. It's why we continue to invest in supports that police have been asking for. It's why we continue to advocate at the federal level for changes in the criminal code, particularly uh, when it comes to dealing with weapons, um, in this case, knives, which is something that this province and other provinces have been calling for. But it also means, uh, as a government, to continue to be committed to working with local governments, local police agencies, other provinces and the federal governments to come up with new, different initiatives to keep our public safe, but recognizing that this challenge in particular around random stranger attacks is there has there is not been to date an easy solution 
but certainly it is one that we are determined to work to find a way to ensure that our streets and our communities are safe because no one should have to feel unsafe and certainly what we saw, I think, as the member said quite rightly, I think shaken all British Columbians. This government remains committed and we will do everything we can to keep our streets safe. Opposition House Leader Supplemental. Well, Mr. Speaker, uh, people don't feel safe in British Columbia today, and that's because they aren't safe in our communities. Certainly not like, uh, like they used to be. And tragedies like this require more than uh, condolences. Uh, the Premier promised, and I quote, results that people could see and touch and feel, end quote, as, as a commitment to, towards addressing these dire public safety uh, concerns and realities faced by British Columbians. But every single day, there is another horrific story of brutal, random attacks and violence. And Mr. Speaker, uh, what's happening is a direct result of the policy choices of this government for the past six years. This is happening under the Premier's watch. A Premier who was the Attorney General for five years and now has, uh, the, uh, is the Premier of British Columbia. Last week it was a series of assaults and knife point robberies uh, here in downtown Victoria. The man stabbed a person and then went on to randomly rob and assault three others at knife point in separate incidents. This brazen random violence unfolded within five blocks in the downtown area before police, thankfully, were able to tackle the knife-wielding suspect to the ground. Mr. Speaker, it's no wonder that 79% of Victoria residents in a recent survey answered that don't feel safe in the downtown here. Again, the Premier was the Attorney General for five years in this province. The Premier is, uh, at, at that time was the person obviously in charge of our failing justice system and he is now the Premier. People deserve better than the Premier's endless cycle of catch and release. So again, to the Premier, when will this vicious violence, these random attacks, finally end? in communities across British Columbia. Minister of Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the question from the member, and I appreciate uh, their concern around public safety. But I also think it's important that we make it clear, because police have made it clear that the challenges that they face are multifaceted. There is the issue of those, of the random stranger attacks, which we saw so horrific yesterday, which leave all of us shaken. And I said, we are working as hard as we can with law enforcement authorities and other governmental authorities to come up with strategies to try and deal with that. At the same time, there are other, there are other public safety issues, and the member references those in his second question, where there has been considerable uh, initiatives undertaken by this government over the last six years to deal with the challenges that we face here in British Columbia, but indeed right across the country. It's why, in terms 
of people who have a violent past or have committed violent offenses in the past. It was this government that led the initiative to go to Ottawa and to seek changes to the criminal code on reverse onus to toughen up bail conditions so that people aren't released when they pose a danger. It was this government that sought as broad, an as broad a definition as possible on that reverse onus so that it includes knives, that it includes weapons, that it includes bear spray, that it even includes histories of those who have engaged with a weapon in the past. And we got that commitment from the federal government that they will make those changes. And the expectation is that those changes are for this session. It is this government that put in place initiatives in our recent budget around specific care teams designed to monitor violent offenders when they are released from a correctional facility and prior to their contact with the justice system. It is this government that expanded the CAR program, $87 million for additional resources for monitoring of violent offenders and giving the police additional tools. It is this government that has put in place the funding over three years to fill the provincial RCMP vacancies in small and rural communities, Honourable Speaker. We have undertaken significant initiatives and we will do others. But the situation that we have been facing in this province and other provinces is complex. And we need to understand and recognize that. But make no mistake and no doubt, we are committed to doing everything we can to keep our communities safe. Member for Abbotsford West. Thanks, Honourable uh, Speaker. Well, we, we hear those words again today, horrible and tragic, and they are um, all too uh, appropriate, and we are hearing them all too frequently. I think with the greatest respect, Mr. Speaker, what people are looking for from the government, from the Premier, is acknowledgement <laughs> that what they are doing isn't working. In fact, what they're doing, in many instances, has made the situation worse. I think people understand that there are going to be slight variations in crime rates. But Mr. Speaker, the fact remains that this Premier, this Premier as Attorney General and as Premier, has presided over a steady and dramatic increase in random violence in this province to the point where people across BC no longer feel safe in their neighbourhoods. You heard again here in Victoria, Noah Stinson embarks on another crime spree, robbing, stabbing. An individual who over the past few years has been charged with assaults, drug trafficking, resisting police, but he's out there again, terrorizing people, despite being wanted on a, uh, a warrant and despite having a weapons prohibition applied to him. So last year, the Premier 
was dragged kicking and screaming into adopting a new approach to uh, bail. Now the government claims that it is tracking closely, that it is monitoring uh, and has data relevant to the impact that change is having on public safety. The question is a straightforward one for the Premier. Having monitored, having that data, will they release that data to the people who are desperate in this province, British Columbians who are desperate to see whether or not it is having a positive impact in improving safety in their communities? Attorney General. I want to thank the member for that important question. Um, as everybody knows here, we've been taking action to improve the safety in our communities, and that does include issuing a directive um, to Crown Council. Um, that directive was set under the laws that we currently have, um, but at the same time, we were advocating for changes to that law at a federal level. Uh, Minister Farnworth and I met with um, Minister Letty, Minister Medicino in Ottawa, and we joined ministers from across this country that were there to seek changes to the bail, bail laws, the unintended consequences that we've seen when it comes to people committing acts of violence, um, being released on our streets. I'm happy to know or to hear that they made commitments to those changes, to make those changes as early as the spring. We'll be watching to make sure that those changes are made. Um, and at the same time, we'll be watching them on and monitoring <coughs> our directives and how they're showing up in this province. We're using every tool in our toolkit and our justice system to improve um, the situation for communities across BC. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Just a reminder to members when we are um, mentioning the members and ministers in the House, not to be named. Member for uh, Abbotsford West, uh, supplemental. Uh, thanks, uh, Honorable Chair. Uh, again, with the greatest respect, the, uh, the, the attorney didn't address the essence of my question. The stories are endless, and, and that is part of the problem. Uh, in my own community uh, on the weekend, a uh, prolific offender, notorious prolific offender, apprehended less than 24 hours uh, after uh, having been uh, released and the police issuing a statement at the time of Mr. Fontaine's arrest. He had just been convicted of possession of stolen property, another stolen vehicle, yet he was released back into our community not even 24 hours later. And there is story after story after story with all too often tragic endings involving innocent victims. The ministry, back in January, the spokesman said, in the aftermath of the change directive, which the government, I have to say, took an awfully long time to adopt, despite having had uh, a recommendation and support from the opposition almost a year previously. The ministry says in January, we're monitoring, we have data. The minister herself, a few weeks later, said, we are monitoring, we have data. Well, I can assure the Premier and the Attorney that British Columbians are interested to know what that data tells them because all they see right now is a massive increase in random attacks. So we FOI. We believe the Minister when she says there's data that they're monitoring, the Ministry spokesman, and we FOI the material. And what do we get back? 
a refusal. A refusal to release basic information relevant to determining whether or not safety in our communities is improving. I can't reconcile that with a legitimate, genuine effort on the part of the government to convey to British Columbians that they're making all of the efforts necessary to improve their safety. So the question is a straightforward one. I hope the attorney will answer it today. Having confirmed repeatedly that this information is being collated, collected, that there is a monitoring, will she undertake to this House to release that information today? Attorney General. Uh, thanks for the question. The BC Prosecution Service um, is an independent body that um, has their own monitoring program. I'll leave it to them to answer what data they're able to release. But what I, what I will say is that this government is not just taking um, the steps that I said about advocating to Ottawa. We're standing up a repeat offenders teams. So these are teams of police officers, probation officers, and Crown Council that are working together in a way that was, was in 2012, but unfortunately that program was cut, and what it saw was a 40% reduction in repeat offending. So we're using that as an example of, of taking a, our, us taking action to, to stop repeat violent offenders in our communities. Um, those will be uh, operational very soon across the province, um, and it'll be another measure that we're taking to in increase safety in our communities. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. House Leader, third party. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last fall, uh, the Premier said, quote, we cannot continue to expand fossil fuel infrastructure and meet our climate goals, end quote. He was placating uh, anxious uh, new members with platitudes after he was outpaced and outorganized in the BC NDP leadership event. When uh, he announced uh, the Cedar LNG project a couple of weeks ago, uh, he sounded a lot like a former Premier, uh, Mr. Speaker, Christy Clark. He said, quote, the choice between protecting the environment and creating good jobs is a false one, end quote. And shortly after he announced the Cedar LNG uh, project, the Premier announced his four-pillar energy action framework. And one of those pillars is a net zero requirement for new fossil fuel projects. Now to the United Nations, quote, net zero is entirely incompatible with continued investment in fossil fuel, end quote. My question, Honourable Speaker, is to the Premier. Can he please provide his government's definition of net zero? Minister of Environment. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. I think uh, net zero is achieved uh, first and foremost by a variety of measures that require independent uh, and internationally accepted methods of verification. The first. Uh, measure, of course, would be to take every uh, step possible to reduce emissions. That includes actions like our regulation uh, to reduce methane emissions from uh, the uh, natural gas industry and all industry by significant amounts by 2030 and near zero by 2035. Uh, following that, it would be uh, reducing the use of um, emission-generating sources of energy. Uh, and uh, further to that, it may be technologies that are being developed, like carbon sequestration and storage. It may be legitimately accepted uh, offsets that are verified and uh, proven to take out of the atmosphere emissions that would otherwise go into it. Third party house leader supplemental. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Of course, the best way to reduce emissions is not to go about uh, diligently creating more, which is what 
this uh, NDP government is committed to doing. Uh, and now uh, it appears that they're going to be turning to the accountants and uh, carbon offsets and carbon credits uh, to meet their net zero requirements. Uh, the problem with carbon credits, of course, is that they're just a human construct, just like the soft pillow that we rest our weary head on at the end of the day, permitting our destructive, to con our destructive behavior uh, to continue tomorrow, uh, Mr. Speaker. Carbon credits don't exist in nature. They're make-believe. Reports have found that corporate and government-run carbon offset programs are basically biosolids, Mr. Speaker. Carbon offsets are unreliable. Government and corporations are overaccounting their actual emissions in millions of tons. Now, the BCNDP is, using, is ready to use these faulty programs to justify more fossil fuel expansion. It's worse than cognitive dissonance, Mr. Speaker, because this government knows much better. My question is through you to the Minister of Environment and Climate Change Strategy. Are the BCNDP going to bet our future on carbon offsets? Minister. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Um, the BCNDP, our government, is going to uh, bet the future of British Columbia meeting its commitments to our citizens as well as uh, carrying out our global responsibilities to reduce emissions through our Clean BC plan, which the uh, leader of the third party uh, was privy to the development of when uh, there was a confidence and supply agreement through our roadmap to 2030 and through a variety of very important measures that we are putting in place, that we've committed to put in place, whether it's the electrification of transportation, whether it is the uh, decarbonization of buildings and heating, whether it's a, a range of supports to local governments, communities and First Nations to take action to reduce emissions and most importantly from our new energy action framework exactly what I thought the leader of the third party has been asking for for months now, which is something to give life to our sectoral targets, particularly in the oil and gas sector. What we have committed to is a regulatory cap on emissions to achieve our sectoral target for the oil and gas sector for 2030. We will be consulting with industry, with First Nations, uh, beginning in April on the shape of that cap, and then we will be introducing the regulation to accomplish the emissions to which we've committed. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Member for Surrey South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, so many of the measures that were mentioned by the Attorney General they only impact what happens after another person becomes a victim in British Columbia. And the violence on our streets were created by the Premier's soft on crime attitude as Attorney General from day one of this government. Not only are prolific offenders released back into communities under the Premier's catch and release system, but tent cities have proliferated under his watch as Housing Minister. I was proud to stand with hundreds of frustrated citizens in Nanaimo. But noticeably absent were NDP members, including the MLA for Nanaimo and the MLA for Parksville Qualicum, who've been completely silent. Nanaimo's Mayor Leonard Krogh has declared the city is at its breaking point. Quote, 
open drug use, our inability to provide appropriate housing and continuum of care, what's referred to as catch and release in the court system, the failure to keep people in custody pending trial when they're significant repeat offenders. All of this has come together. It's a crisis, end quote. Local business owner Clint Smith was lucky to survive after being shot multiple times during a confrontation at an encampment. Clint sustained such severe injuries that he had to be placed on an induced coma. My question is how many people like Clint have to suffer before the Premier fixes the results of his policies that he caused? Attorney General. Um, thanks for the question. I, I think we can all agree in this House that everybody deserves to feel safe in their communities. And when you hear about horrific, violent acts that are happening, uh, we all need to stand together not only to condemn them, but people for the province can know that this government is taking action. Um, not only, as I mentioned earlier, are we advocating for very badly needed criminal code changes to the federal government, and we're hoping for that to happen this spring, but we have a whole series of policies under our Safer Communities Action Plan that covers mental health supports, increased resources in policing, uh, more investment in our Crown um, Council, the Repeat Offenders Task Force. We're listening to community um, and hearing what they need, and then we're responding. Um, there's no doubt that um, we're all reeling when we hear about these traumatic acts, but we're taking the steps that we need to take in order to make it better. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Homeless encampments and the escalation of violence and chaos on our streets has never been worse. Tent, city, tent cities are more prevalent than they ever have been before, and that is under this Premier's watch. Mayor Leonard Krogh says, and I quote, we're getting to a breaking point. It's a crisis. I've been calling it a crisis for a long time, but that crisis is not getting any better, end quote. This is from a mayor. This is from somebody who sat in this house for almost two decades, most of which was as critic for attorney general. He understands what this government can, and more importantly, is not doing to keep his city safe. My question is to the premier. How much longer will communities have to suffer from the crisis called by his failed policies? Government House Leader. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, we, we canvassed uh, encampments at great lengths yesterday. And uh, again, I'll reiterate the comments I made, which are the encampments are not safe for the people living in them, and they're not safe for the community at large. Uh, we know, and we've been working actively with communities to uh, uh, deal with some of the encampments in, in, in ways that work for communities for themselves. Uh, we've highlighted on Sunday uh, the plans we have for Vancouver. Um, we've been working actively with the uh, city of Nanaimo uh, uh, to build the housing that we know is needed, uh, desperately needed. I believe just over 800 units of affordable housing have already been uh, built there, and we've got 556 that are uh, underway. Um, that work is happening. We've also uh, offered uh, and are working with them on funding for a navigation center so that uh, those that need help can go to one place and get all the supports that they need. Uh, we've had two locations that we have found, worked with them on, uh, that went through the process and then council uh, came to the conclusion that perhaps that wasn't the right site. Uh, so we found a location, went through the complete process, council decided it wasn't the right site, 
We went through another process they found, and we're now looking for a third site. And so it's going to require us to work together to find uh, locations for these people to be able to get the supports they need, and that's the work we're doing with them right now. Member for Prince George Belmont. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, the reality in British Columbia is that under this Premier's watch, homelessness, encampments, and public safety has all gotten worse. This has been the former Attorney General and now the Premier's responsibility for years, not months or weeks, but for years. And the results just keep getting worse. Almost three years ago, the Premier's mandate letter as Housing Minister tasked him with implementing a strategy to address homeless encampments. But he simply didn't do his job. So according to the Premier's transition binder, the NDP cabinet approved a plan in 2021, but it was never implemented or released. The note goes on to give this advice to the Premier of British Columbia, and I quote, encampments are increasing in complexity and numbers across the province and are not a suitable form of shelter. People deserve safe homes and stability. So with results getting worse every single day, why did the Premier delay releasing the desperately needed provincial strategy that his cabinet approved years ago? Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, and I think it's important to highlight that the challenge we're dealing with encampments is not just a BC problem. It's not just a Canada problem. This is an issue we're seeing across North America. Uh, recently, a Canadian Human Rights Commission wrote a report on how encampments can be dealt with in communities around the country, Honourable Speaker. Uh, I've spoken to colleagues across the country. We're all grappling on how we can deal with this. If you look just down south to Washington State, if you look down to Oregon, if you don't look down to California, every community is dealing with this uh, challenge and trying to find ways. So how we're dealing with this, Honourable Speaker, is, is examples I shared yesterday around the downtown east side. We had 200 people in an encampment. We found housing for 90 of those people. We have 70 more people there, and we're, we have shelter space available for them. And my message to them continues to be, that there is shelter space available, that the encampments with the fires, with the increase in, uh, in crime that we're seeing there, that the shelters are a safer place to be. And so that's the work we're doing, not only in Vancouver, but in communities around the province, working with mayors to find solutions, Honourable Speaker. Uh, and I know that all members in this House want to find solutions for those that are the most vulnerable in our society. The bell ends the question period.